0: Guy Mannering or the Astrologer by Sir Walter Scott. Volume 2, Chapter 15. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Volume 2, Chapter 15. A prison is a house of care, a place where none can thrive, a touchstone true to try a friend, a grave for one alive. Sometimes a place of right, sometimes a place of wrong, sometimes a place of rogues and thieves, and honest men among. Inscription on Edinburgh Tolbooth. Early on the following morning, the carriage which had brought Bertram to Hazelwood House was, with his two silent and surly attendants, appointed to convey him to his place of confinement at Porton Ferry. This building adjoined to the custom house established at that little seaport and both were situated so close to the sea-beach that it was necessary to defend the back part with a large and strong rampart or bulwark of huge stones disposed in a slope towards the surf which often reached and broke upon them the front was surrounded by a high wall enclosing a small courtyard within which the miserable inmates of the mansion were occasionally permitted to take exercise and air the prison was used as a house of correction and sometimes as a chapel of ease to the county jail which was old and far from being conveniently situated with reference to the kippel tringham district of the county mcguffock the officer by whom bertram had at first been apprehended and who was now in attendance upon him was keeper of this palace of little ease he caused the carriage to be drawn close up to the outer gate and got out himself to summon the warders The noise of his rap alarmed some twenty or thirty ragged boys, who left off sailing their mimic sloops and frigates in the little pools of salt water, left by the receding tide, and hastily crowded round the vehicle to see what luckless being was being delivered to the prison-house out of Glosson's bra-new carriage. The door of the courtyard, after the heavy clanking of many chains and bars, was opened by Mrs. MacGuffock an awful spectacle being a woman for strength and resolution capable of maintaining order among her riotous inmates and of administering the discipline of the house as it was called during the absence of her husband or when he chanced to have taken an overdose of the creature the growling voice of this amazon which rivalled in harshness the crashing music of her own bolts and bars soon dispersed in every direction the little violets who had thronged around her threshold and she next addressed her amiable helpmate be sharp man and get out of the swell canst thou not hold your tongue be damned you answered her loving husband with two additional epithets of great energy but which we begged to be excused from repeating then addressing bertram come will you get out my handy lad or must we lend you a lift bertram came out of the carriage and collared by the constable as he put his foot on the ground was dragged, though he offered no resistance, across the threshold, amid the continued shouts of the little sans who looked on at such a distance as their fear of Mrs. MacGuffock permitted. The instant his foot had crossed the fatal porch, the portress again dropped her chains, drew her bolts, and, turning with both hands an immense key, took it from the lock and thrust it into a huge side-pocket of red cloth. Bertram was now in the small court already mentioned, Two or three prisoners were sauntering along the pavement and deriving as it were a feeling of refreshment from the momentary glimpse with which the opening door had extended their prospect to the other side of a dirty street nor can this be thought surprising when it is considered that unless on such occasions their view was confined to the grated front of their prison the high and sable walls of the courtyard the heaven above them and the pavement beneath their feet a sameness of landscape which, to use the poet's expression, lay like a load on the wearied eye, and had fostered in some a callous and dull misanthropy, in others that sickness of the heart which induces him who is immured, already in a living grave, to wish for a sepulchre yet more calm and sequestered. MacGuffock, when they entered the courtyard, suffered Bertram to pause for a minute and look upon his companions in affliction. When he had cast his eye around on faces on which guilt and despondence and low excess had fixed their stigma, upon the spendthrift and the swindler and the thief, the bankrupt debtor, the moping idiot and the madman gay, whom a paltry spirit of economy congregated to share this dismal habitation, he felt his heart recoil with inexpressible loathing from enduring the contamination of their society even for a moment. "'I hope, sir,' he said to the keeper, "'you intend to assign me a place of confinement apart.' "'And what should I be the better for that?' "'Why, sir, I can but be detained here a day or two, "'and it would be very disagreeable to me "'to mix in the sort of company this place affords.' "'And what do I care for that?' "'Why, then, sir, to speak to your feelings,' said Bertram, "'I shall be willing to make you a handsome compliment for this indulgence.' ay but when captain when and how that's the question or rather the twa questions said the jailer when i am delivered and get my remittances from england answered the prisoner macguffick shook his head incredulously why friend you do not pretend to believe that i am really a malefactor said bertram why i know ken said the fellow but if you are on the account you're nae sharpin that's the daylight o and why do you say i am no sharp one "'Why, who but a crack-brained greenhorn would I let them keep up the siller that ye left at the Gordon Arms?' said the constable. "'Deal fetch me, but I would have had it out of their whims. "'Ye had nae right to be stripped of your money and sent to jail without a mark to pay your fees. "'They might have kept it the rest of the articles for evidence. "'But why for a blind bottlehead did ye not ask for the guineas?' And I kept winking and nodding all the time, and the dunnet devil wouldn't I once look my way. Well, sir," replied Bertram, "if I have a title to have that property delivered up to me, I shall pay for it, and there is a good deal more than enough to pay any demand you can set up. I dinna ken a bit about that," said MacGuffick. "Ye may be here long enough, and then the gig in credit mullin be considered in the fees. But however, as ye do seem to be a chap by common." "'though my wife says I lose by my good nature. "'If ye give me an order for my fees upon that money, "'I dare say Glossin will make it forthcoming. "'I ken something about an escape from Ellangowan. "'Ay, he'll be glad to carry me through and be neighbour-like.' "'Well, sir,' replied Bertram, "'if I am not furnished in a day or two otherwise, "'you shall have such an order.' "'Weel, weel, then ye should be put up like a prince,' said MacGuffock. "'but mark ye, me friend, "'that we may have nae collie shangi afterhand. "'These are the fees that I always charge a swell "'that must have his lib ken to himself. thirty shillings a week for lodgings, "'and a guinea for garnish, "'half a guinea a week for a single bed, "'and I dinna get the whole of it, "'for I must gee half a crown of it to Donald Lader "'that's in for sheep-stealing, "'that should sleep with you by rule, and he'll expect clean straw and maybe some whisky beside. So I make little upon that. Well, sir, go on. Then for meat and liquor you may have the best, and I never charge about twenty per cent or tavern price for pleasing a gentleman that way. And that's little enough for sending in and sending out and wearing the lassie's shoe out. And then if you're dowie, I will sit wi' you a gliff in the evening, myself, man, and help ye out wi' your bottle i have drank many a glass we glossin man that did you up though he's a justice now and then i'se warrant you'll be for fire the cold nights or if you want candle that's an expensive article for it's against the rules and now i've told you the head articles of the charge and i didn't think there's muckle more though there will be a some odd expenses o'er and above "'Well, sir, I must trust your conscience. "'If you ever happen to hear of such a thing, "'I cannot help myself.' Na, no, na, no, sir,' answered the cautious jailer, "'I'll no permit you to be saying that. "'I'm forcing nothing on ye, "'and ye dinna like the price you needna take the article. "'I force no man. "'I was only explaining what civility was. "'But if you like to take the common run of the house, "'it's all ain't to me. "'I'll be safe trouble, that's all.' Nay, no, my friend, I have, as I suppose you may easily guess, "'no inclination to dispute your terms upon such a penalty,' answered Bertram. "'Come, show me where I am to be, for I would fain be alone for a little while.' "'Ay, ay, come along then, Captain,' said the fellow, with a contortion of visage which he intended to be a smile. "'And I'll tell you now to show you that I have a conscience, as you'd cut damn me, "'if I charge you above sixpence a day for the freedom of the court.' "'and you may walk in it for near three hours a day "'and play at pitch-and-toss and and handball and what not.' "'With this gracious promise he ushered Bertram into the house "'and showed him up a steep and narrow stone staircase, "'at the top of which was a strong door, "'clenched with iron and studded with nails. "'Beyond this door was a narrow passage or gallery "'having three cells on each side, "'wretched vaults with iron bed-frames and straw mattresses but at the further end there was a small apartment of rather a more decent appearance that is having less the air of place of confinement since unless for the large lock and chain upon the door and the crossed and ponderous stanchions upon the window it rather resembled the worst inn's worst room it was designed as a sort of infirmary for prisoners whose state of health required some indulgence and in fact donald lader bertram's destined chum had been just dragged out of one of the two beds which it contained to try whether clean straw and whisky might not have a better chance to curing his intermittent fever this process of ejection had been carried into force by mrs mcguffock while her husband parleyed with bertram in the courtyard that good lady having a distinct presentiment of the manner in which the treaty must necessarily terminate apparently the expulsion had not taken place without some application of the strong hand for one of the bedposts of a sort of tent-bed was broken down so that the tester and curtains hung forward into the middle of the narrow chamber like the banner of a chieftain half sinking amid the confusion of combat never mind that being out of sorts captain said mrs mcguffock who now followed them into the room then turning her back to the prisoner with as much delicacy as the action admitted she whipped from her knee her ferret garter and applied it to splicing and fastening the broken bedpost. Then used more pins than her apparel could well spare to fasten up the bed curtains in festoons. Then shook the bedclothes into something like form. Then flung over all a tattered patchwork quilt and pronounced that things were now something purpose like. And there's your bed, Captain, pointing to a massive four-posted hulk, which, owing to the inequality of the floor, that had sunk considerably the house though new having been built by contract stood on three legs and held the fourth aloft as if pawing the air and in the attitude of advancing like an elephant passant upon the panel of a coach there's your bed and your blankets and if you want sheets or bolster or pillar or any sort of napery for the table or for your hands you have to speak to me about it for that's out of the goodman's line "'Guffick had by this time left the room "'to avoid, probably, any appeal "'which might be made to him upon this new exaction. "'And he never engages for anything like that. "'In God's name,' said Bertram, "'let me have what is decent, "'and make any charge you please. "'Aweel, aweel, that's soon settled. "'We'll no excise you neither, "'though we live so near the customs-house, "'and I maun see to get you some fire "'and some dinner too, I's warrant.' but your dinner will be but a pooray in the day no expecting company that be nice and facious so saying and in all haste mrs McGuffick fetched a scuttle of live coals and having replenished the rusty grate unconscious of a fire for months before she proceeded with unwashed hands to arrange the stipulated bed-linen alas how different from aileen dimmont's and muttering to herself as she discharged her task seemed in inveterate spleen of temper to grudge even those accommodations for which she was to receive payment at length however she departed grumbling between her teeth that she would rather lock up a hail ward than be flicking about they niffy-naffy gentles that gay such muckle fash with their fancies when she was gone bertram found himself reduced to the alternative of pacing his little apartment for exercise or gazing out upon the sea in such proportions as could be seen from the narrow panes of his window obscured by dirt and by close iron bars or reading over the records of brutal wit and blackguardism which despair had scrawled upon the half-whitened walls the sounds were as uncomfortable as the objects of sight the sullen dash of the tide which was now retreating and the occasional opening and shutting of a door with all its accompaniments of jarring bolts and creaking hinges mingling occasionally with the dull monotony of the retiring ocean. Sometimes, too, he could hear the hoarse growl of the keeper, or the shriller strain of his helpmate, almost always in the tone of discontent, anger, or insolence. At other times the large mastiff chained in the courtyard answered with furious bark the insults of the idle loiterers who made a sport of incensing him at length the tedium of this weary space was broken by the entrance of a dirty-looking serving-wench who made some preparations for dinner by laying a half-dirty cloth upon a whole dirty deal table a knife and fork which had not been worn out by over-cleaning flanked a cracked delf plate a nearly empty mustard pot placed on one side of the table balanced a salt cellar containing an article of a greyish or rather a blackish mixture upon the other, both of stoneware, and bearing two obvious marks of recent service. Shortly after, the same Hebe brought up a plate of beef collops done in the frying-pan, with a huge allowance of grease floating in an ocean of lukewarm water, and having added a coarse loaf to these savoury viands, she requested to know what liquors the gentleman chose to order. The appearance of this fare was not very inviting, but Bertram endeavoured to mend his commons by ordering wine, which he found tolerably good, and with the assistance of some indifferent cheese made his dinner chiefly off the brown loaf. When his meal was over, the girl presented her master's compliments, and if agreeable to the gentleman, he would help him to spend the evening. Bertram desired to be excused, and begged instead of this gracious society that he might be furnished with paper, pen, ink, and candles. The light appeared in the shape of one long broken tallow candle, inclining over a tin candlestick coated with grease as for the writing materials the prisoner was informed that he might have them the next day if he chose to send out to buy them bertram next desired the maid to procure him a book and enforced his request with a shilling in consequence of which after a long absence she reappeared with two odd volumes of the Newgate calendar which she had borrowed from sam silverquill An idle apprentice who was imprisoned under a charge of forgery. Having laid the books on the table, she retired, and left Bertram to studies which were not ill adapted to his present melancholy situation. End of volume two, chapter fifteen.